This episode of the Kill by Kill podcast is brought to you in part by The Visitor, the latest horror thriller from Blumhouse Productions. When Robert and his wife Maya move back into her childhood home, he discovers an old portrait of a man with his likeness, a man referred to only as the visitor. Soon he finds himself descending down a frightening rabbit hole in an attempt to discover the true identity of this mysterious doppelganger, only to realize that every family has its own terrifying secrets. The visitor is available to buy or rent on digital right now. And to celebrate the release of The Visitor, we're giving away some free digital copies of the film to five lucky listeners. Just email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com with The Visitor in the subject line for your chance to win. And now, the body count continues. Gentlemen, boys, and girls, dying time is here. That's right. We're talking about something to tide you over from Creep Show on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Comfort Point. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of Creepshow's Something to Tide You Over in the hopes that a drowning victim's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust, that if I get myself buried up to my neck on the beach with the tide rising, she'll make sure to record it on SP this time, the one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Glub, glub. <laughs> glub, glub indeed. This, this is the most, this is the one that gives me hives, Gina. This is the one that scares the living shit out of me. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty effective. Uh, I, I feel like it bothers me more now as an adult than it did as a kid. Well, as a kid, like it's very comic booky, and we all have Leslie Nielsen, you know, in our mind. So it can be very easy to dismiss, but the very idea of just being overtaken by the tide, unable to, oh, fucking Gina, it, um, I, I, it makes me crazy how nuts <laughs> it, it, this is when I think about it. The, the This and the jaunt, the Stephen King short story, are the two things that really freak me the fuck out when it comes to <laughs> concepts yeah well especially because the jaunt you're just kind of picturing everything that happens right <laughs> but i don't mean to scare you into being white-haired and raving gina but uh we are not alone that's right we have a special guest he is a writer and he's a filmmaker and he's uh, in my opinion one of the premier video essayists on youtube and now i am proud to say that he is a returning champion welcome back to kill by kill the one the only patrick h willems how are you doing today, Patrick? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's good to be back. Oh, so happy to have you here. Uh, so happy that you have completed your film about a semi-sentient uh, coconut man with googly eyes, uh, a part of the googly eyes revolution in cinema. <laughs> and uh, so happy to have you back uh, on the video essay trail on YouTube. I love your stuff. So I'm so very happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm. I'm also glad that that movie finally got finished, and I can move on with the rest of my life now. <laughs> like Sisyphus pushing a giant coconut with googly eyes up a hill. Now you're pushing uh, the this uh, segment of Creep Show up a hill. Now, what is your backstory with Creep Show? That is uh, a great question that I can answer uh, pretty quickly. Um, I've never, I actually, I still, as of this very moment, have never seen the majority of Creepshow. Um, I, until this morning, I had never seen any of it. (laughs) And then for this episode, um, I watched this one segment. I watched something to tide you over. And, uh, 
That is oh, oh, oh also the two minute prologue at the beginning of Creep Show and the sure. opening title sequence, and that is currently all of Creep Show that I have seen. Uh, I realize that this, you know, I am uh, a fraud, and um, <laughs> and I do not. I am unqualified to be on this podcast, and uh, you should probably never take anything I ever say seriously again. I think you're perfectly qualified because. If we're taking this as a as a segment unto itself, as as what we're talking about is something to tide you over, what happens before and what happens after, while they can tie in, what's most important is, does this particular story work and what are these characters in this segment, and they don't repeat anywhere else, you know, what are they like? What are their weirdnesses? Why do they always dress in corduroys? Uh <laughs> Are they wearing socks? It's hard to tell. Uh, there's a lot of costuming choices at play here, but I think this kind of falls into what the raison d'etre of this podcast is, which is to hyper-focus on something to the point of abstraction. True. I mean, I have now seen this segment, which is what we're talking about. So <laughs> right. that is literally the only part of Creep Show that I can talk about. What is your relationship to George A. Romero? Because he's a person we haven't actually dug into in the first two segments, probably because one of them we dig into Stephen King a little too much. And Gina, I really hope Uncle Steve never listens to this podcast. We are going to be in a lot of fucking trouble if that happens. Do you guys trash Steve? I mean, I don't. <laughs> I I do kind of dig into Stephen's performance in the second segment. It is um broad if the side of a barn is small he is broad i uh, how close is this uh to maximum overdrive he's a little less coked out in in, in this than he is in uh maximum overdrive <laughs> okay he's starting to to hit the coke a little bit although he gina didn't he like write cujo and he couldn't fucking remember that he had written the book at all I think that was true for most of his books through the 80s, yeah. I, I'm just curious because uh, I was surprised when I saw him in the opening credits. I mean, the, credited as an actor. And yeah. I was wondering that, like, was this just a, a very brief period in his life where he was like, maybe I will be in front of the camera. And then after Maximum Overdrive, basically like retreated from that forever. I think it's this. I think it's that one American Express commercial where he's writing in a in a gothic castle uh, with a, in a lightning storm. And he, that one's pretty good. Yeah. It's a, it's a great performance. In fact, I would view that as his second best performance. First best performance, the trailer to maximum overdrive and then American express. And then several steps down from then when he's the uh, coroner in sleep and sleepwalkers, then when he's the priest in uh, uh pet cemetery, <laughs> And he barely talks. Then when he's in the music video for Pet Cemetery by the Ramones, <laughs> and then way down is Jordy Verrill. He's encouraged by Romero to just bug-eyed out. Like he's fucking nuts. You are really like, well-versed in Stephen King's acting filmography. I didn't have horror movies to watch. I could only ingest it through other media because my parents had a very tight rein over what I could take in with my eye holes <laughs> and ear ear holes. So uh, if I could pick something up from like magazines or entertainment tonight, it just went in there. And now I can barely remember my pin number, but I can remember the music video to Pet Cemetery. Hey, there you go. Oh, wait, you were asking me about my relationship with George Romero. Yes, that's right. Correct. George Romero is not entirely, but uh, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, man, I'm just dropping embarrassing confessions here. He's a little bit of a blind spot for me in mm -hmm. that I've seen the first two living, uh, the first two dead movies, mm -hmm. um, and that's it. It's uh it's it. There's there's a bunch of horror filmmakers that I who I full who. Basically, like what I'll do periodically is, for instance, until last year, I had never seen uh, a Dario Argento movie. And then I spent right. the fall just going through watching a ton of them in a row. It was, it was, sure. just, it was a nice couple months of my life where that was just my Argento phase. And at some point, I'm going to have my Romero phase where I'm not yeah. saying I'll watch every movie, but I'll go through and watch like the majority of the important ones. Creepshow is a movie that I've 
always intended to watch. I've always been pretty sure I'll like it a lot. Uh, I, I love the premise of it. Uh, I, I love just, I've always been bummed that I'm a little bit too young to have properly grown up uh, watching Tales from the Crypt. Sure. Uh, it was on when I was like pretty young and also my family didn't have HBO anyway, so I had no real way of watching it. So I've only mm-hmm. caught like a handful of episodes like when I got older and could watch them online. Uh, and I was like, ah, this is great. I love this kind of thing. Uh, the the little bits of like old EC comics I, I've read are awesome. And so the idea, like that specific tone that clearly they're going for in Creepshow, I enjoy so much. Uh, and and the whole thing of like when really skilled filmmakers do it, like I think of, you know, the uh, I, I've seen like the Zemeckis episodes of Tales from the Crypt and it's mm-hmm. really, really enjoyable to watch like like almost overqualified people just like have fun and 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 just do do this kind of like like th- like throwback like kind of goofy short form horror uh just these like like bleak nasty little stories uh i really like it and so here's the thing like once i wrap up the current project that's like dominating my life i will i i'm pretty sure i'll just actually go back and watch the rest of creep show yeah it's definitely worth the watch um, Gina, you have a more rich vein of Romero love in your background. I'm pretty sure because we've, we've briefly touched on Martin a few times. Yeah. I mean, Martin, I was going to suggest to, to, uh, to Patrick that he make sure to have Martin on, uh, on his list of must see Romero movies. Oh, it's on the list. Don't worry. Yeah. Cause it's, it's probably one of the most underrated vampire movies you'll ever see. And I really, it, it's just very much different in every possible way in style and tone from Creepshow. But yeah, I, so that's probably one of my favorite seventies horror movies. He brings a vibe that very much let's all put on a show. There's a, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, we've got some spare lights. We've got some spare film. Let's try to make something happen vibe to his stuff. And yet, like, it looks gorgeous. Like, he knows how to lens shit. And he has very weird gonzo ideas, and they're fantastic. And it all kind of coalesces in Creepshow because he's going for a vibe he's never really touched. While there's always a sense of humor to a lot of his pieces, here, the the humor of it is really baked in. Like, he is both trying to scare you and make you laugh. And I think this is the one segment that's probably the most unintentionally funny in, in, in its approach because it's really a straightforward EC horror concept of revenge and then revenge for that revenge. So why don't we start into this? Uh, starting with the the something to tide you over uh, comic book intro, and we go right into Harry's apartment. Now Harry's played by Ted Danson. We'll talk a little bit more about Ted as we go through. But I just wanted to point out that we open on a super weird aquarium made to look like a clay deep sea diver helmet that is hanging from the ceiling. 1970s home decoration, everybody. It's fucking wild. <laughs> the decor takes me back to to my childhood. There's a lot of wood paneling happening here. There's a lot of faux Asian prints on the wall. The amount of houseplants going on in both Harry's uh, domicile and Richard's, uh, I assume this is a lot of carryover from jo- Jordy Verrill, the, the previous segment, in which uh, you don't know this, Patrick, but uh, Stephen King turns into a big plane. Oh, oh I, I will say when I was uh, like, I rented the movie on Apple TV and then I was mm-hmm. like just skimming through and it shows you just like at the bottom of the screen, just like, a, you know, an image of of just like like the frame you're on. And I saw mm-hmm. a lot of green yeah. in the segment before and i was like i wonder what's going on there (laughs) um meteor shit uh meteor shit is what's happening there cool cool (laughs) just so you know but harry's uh domicile there's a lot of wild choices here primarily green large format marble tile with red shag rugs he lives inside of freddy krueger's sweater it's wild (laughs) 
but we uh, we meet Harry. He's a man whose life is so unencumbered with problems that he can fall asleep on the couch in a terry cloth robe and sensible corduroy pants. Um, Harry is played by Ted Danson, looking like a fucking snack here, Gina. Yeah, I this might have been because, as I mentioned on previous episodes, I saw this when I was a kid in the theater. So this would have been pre-Cheers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, Cheers would debut this fall. Yeah, I, this was probably the first time I'd ever seen Ted Danson. I'm like, all right. Well, not when I was 10, but, you know, I mean, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, rewatching it recently, I'm like, all right. No, you can, you get it. You get it. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's fucking hot. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk Danson for a bit. First of all, it's not Ted Danson's birthday. Sorry, Twitter. Um, but Danson started in soaps in the 70s and showed up in guest spots and everything from Taxi to BJ and the Bear, meaning that Ted Danson and I have just as many appearances in the BJU. <laughs> That's right. I was in. Uh, the background of a shot of the misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. So Ted Danson and I, a lot in common. Um, as I mentioned, Creepshow made it into theaters uh, just before Danson was back on TV as Sam Malone uh, in Cheers. Uh, that started its run in last fucking place. And uh, three years later, it was a top 10 show. Meet Richard. Uh, his wife is having an affair um, and, uh, let's just say he's affected by it. Uh, Richard is played by a real silver Fox that we all know and we all love. And, uh, Patrick, what is your relationship to the one, the only Leslie Neal? Well, I, I think my relationship with Leslie is similar to many people under the age of, 50 or so, right. uh, which is, I only really know him from uh, the latter half of his career, the comedy sure. portion, mm-hmm. um, you know, airplane onward. And what I was thinking about while I was watching this and thinking about the timeline of like when this came out and stuff like that, where he's really well cast here because mm-hmm. he had pretty much like uh, airplane was what, three years earlier. Uh, two. It came out in 1980. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I thought 79. Um, but so because it feels 1979 because there's the Saturday Night Fever sequence. It feels like a 70s movie because that, it basically just came out in 1980. That is true. That is yeah. true. I uh, and so he pretty much just just begun the comedy era and suddenly had this whole new, uh, you know, like. I guess a new reputation, uh, a new persona, and uh, and 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 suddenly uh, along comes this movie, which like weaponizes that persona. Where mm-hmm. you know we see Leslie Nielsen, though, and we all think like ah, you know, like good old funny Leslie Nielsen. He's uh, he'll he'll be serious, but then he'll be saying wacky stuff. Right. Um, and uh, and then he uh, rolls into this movie, and um, and it, it's like. Uh, it dis- his presence disarms you uh, and kind of makes you let your guard down and then you realize what he's up to. And I think it's like really, really good casting. And I think he's a delight to watch in this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Gina, what what do you think of Leslie? Oh, well, at the time that I saw this, I, I loved the ever be far too brief police squad. Sure. Yes. Uh, which I, I pretty sure came out roughly around the same time as as um, yeah. as Creepshow did. Uh, yeah. Like, even though I'm a little a little older than Patrick. Yeah. I mean, most of my exposure to him was in stuff like Airplane and Police Squad and later the Naked Gun movies. So it was, yeah, I never, I never bought that. He didn't realize that the air, that airplane wasn't supposed to be, that was supposed to be a comedy. I don't think that's true at all, but it it is funny that he's basically parodying the sort of very serious roles he used to play in the sixties and seventies. And then of course, when you see him in a movie like day of the animals in which he's the villain in that it's almost (laughs) kind of, it's almost kind of funny. It's hard. It's very hard to take him seriously in that role. But he's such an unhinged bigot in that, Gina. It is fucking wild how crazy. Like, I just rewatched that like a year ago thinking maybe we'll cover that for Animal Attack April. And he, like, there's not a sequence on screen where he is not, like, getting canceled in real life. It is, the character 
cannot stop saying the worst things possible. And then as the animals go crazy, he's like, what if I went crazy? What if I kidnapped a woman and I became a caveman? And he fucking carries it off. He's got his shirt off for the last 15 minutes of that movie. And you're like, all right, good for you, Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, and then in this, in this, he kind of has that perfect balance between being menacing and being very, very goofy, and 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 it and yeah. it really works well. I mean, he's kind of a crazy psycho in this, but I he plays officious very well. Like he he's a very square jawed hero in like Forbidden Planet, and he's kind of dashingly romantic and Tammy and the Bachelor, and you know he feels like. Oh, that captain doesn't know what he's doing in the Poseidon adventure. And I just feel like he always understands the role he's being cast in. So, yeah, I I never quite understood people saying like, oh, he didn't understand he was in a comedy in an airplane. No, he just understood the drama that airplane is and made the comedy stand out more like his his performance in that is is fucking legitimately genius. Harry is our adulterer and uh, Leslie Nielsen is being cucked. And uh, so Richard shows up and he's um, he's he's in his feelings about this all. And so uh, when he arrives, uh, let's just say Richard's deal is he's possessive, like in the most literal sense. He refers to his wife, Rebecca, as his in the sense like. Like he owns a car or he owns a very good piece of stereo equipment. Well, to be fair, the man does own like a whole beach. <laughs> he does. He owns, he owns a literal point of some kind. Like an entire coastline is under her, under his purview. Um, the fact that his wife, Rebecca, is uh, more important than any other, you know, that, that, his, that Rebecca is his wife is just kind of like, it's a thing he collects like he is the worst collector on the face of the planet well at least 1982's planet they're probably worst collectors right now i am worried that i will become like richard in one specific way and that is constantly checking the av cables of other people's tvs (laughs) i mean i guess if you have to have anything in common with him i mean actually (laughs) it, it, it would be cool to to own a beach Uh, but outside of owning a beach, that's probably the best thing to have in common with him. Yeah. I mean, like if you switched out AV cables for like turning off your, your parent-in-law's motion smoothing, like that's me. Uh, I am that intrusive into somebody's, you know, TV setup. I, I will go into their settings. Um, but at this point, Richard's biggest sin is that at least that we know of in this point in the movie is we know he's a VCR snob, which is a very specific 1982 thing. I would like to believe that this is actually a pointed statement from both King and Romero, Romero in particular, that home video people are weird. Oh, I thought it might be that uh, VCR people are evil and maybe uh, Romero and King are Betamax people. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. I am surprised he goes with a VCR over a Betamax considering his love of specific AV requirements. That is a very good point. The one thing we didn't mention about Leslie Nielsen, just to return to him, was his love of the fart machine. Now, If you don't know this about Leslie Nielsen, he would arrive to both interviews and sets with a fart machine that he would use to lighten the mood of any particular set. And later in life, he used an electronic version. But uh, through the 80s and 90s and even before that, he used what was like a, a small squeeze box that he would manipulate with one hand and it would make fart noises against his palm. He played it like a classical instrument and produced all kinds of different farts with his hand. He was, he was an artist. What a cool guy. <laughs> he was the best of us. Real Renaissance man. <laughs> what, what of our leading stars, our supposed movie stars are out there making fart noises in between takes. Uh, certainly you don't hear that happening on the set of don't worry, darling. Like that would, that would have helped everything out if they had a Leslie Nielsen in that cast. Well, I mean, I don't know, you know, like a lot of conflicting reports are coming out about that set. Maybe, maybe like 
Harry Styles brought a fart machine and and <laughs> and Florence Pugh was not into that. And that true. Maybe that's why Shia LaBeouf left the production. Maybe he brought a fart machine and that was throwing out everyone's timing off. I mean, it's quite possible Shia LaBeouf is a fart machine. I'm just going to throw that out. That he might be the human personification of a fart machine. Maybe. I'm just going to say it. Come at me, Shia LaBeouf. You don't know who the fuck I am, nor will you ever. So, uh, Richard hates a couple different things. Dirty VCR heads. Cheaters. The rotten smell when the tide goes out. Maybe sweaters that accurately fit his frame. But primarily, he just really doesn't like anyone taking his stuff. And so when he hears that Harry is sleeping with his wife, he has one demand. You come with me right now to the beach, and I will tell you what I have done with my wife, or something terrible will happen to her. And he's not lying. So we now cut to a shot of a Jeep heading out to the shore, uh, where we see Richard's house in the background. And I have to assume this is uh, probably George A. Romero's first matte painting shot. I don't remember any matte paintings. Well, wait, is there one in Dawn of the Dead? I don't know. Now I'm doubting myself, but I'm pretty sure this is his first matte painting shot. Like matte paintings are kind of really hitting a big stride here in the in the eighties. We just covered Psycho 2. And that is like, wow, it's full of killer artists matte painting shots. I love a good matte painting shot. They're they're pretty great. Uh, what a fantastic illusion. Um, we learn that Harry, now that he's no longer in his terry cloth robe, is rocking brown on brown, a members only jacket on corduroy brown pants. The way he is dressed was the way I was dressed in grade school. That, that's that's another thing connecting me and Ted Danson. Again, BJ and the Bear universe, met brown members only jackets. Um, and it is when we arrive here at the beach that the soundtrack goes full fucking Hitchcock. Uh, and Richard uh, points to a mound of sand and alludes that that might be where he's buried Rebecca. He is both lying and telling the truth. It turns out it's just a uh, low hole in which he asks Ted Danson to kneel in and cover himself in sand, which uh, is another detail that freaks me the fuck out because he's not standing in sand. He's kneeling. So he would have to, he, it's impossible for him to rise up because he's already lowered down to the knees. Like he's really fucking thought about how to do this. And it makes me shiver in anticipation. Well, yeah, it's that, it's that, you know, Romero, he wrote, did he, did he write this one? Or did he just direct the segment? Um, I mean, he and King are credited as screenwriters on all of this. They definitely developed everything together. But this does feel like the most Romero detail of, of all of them because it just feels like something you learned about a gangster from the 30s. Like, this is how they killed somebody down on the shore. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely put some thought into it. And, you know, I, I respect it as someone who tends to get so buried in you know details and fact checking to the point where I don't ever actually finish anything. I I uh, <laughs> I, I I you know I, I understand and respect the dedication to figuring out how this would work as accurately as possible. It just uh, it makes me like this in tight spaces. Uh, I can't I really cannot handle it. Uh, Patrick, what is your relationship to being buried in the sand? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that that's the first time anyone has asked me that on a podcast. <laughs> well, we're full of firsts here at Kill by Kill. This is this is one the, the only place people go for a question that really comes out of left fucking field. I, I appreciate it because, well, okay, two things I want to say here. Sure. Uh, so during this chapter, segment mm -hmm. of Creepshow, um, there were two things that I spent – the majority of the time thinking about, and both of them involve burying someone in the sand on a beach while the tide is out. Sure. Uh, the first is, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to word this in a way that will not uh, incriminate me or make people, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, be suspicious of me. 
we've all watched a lot of movies that have a lot of people uh, try to discreetly murder someone, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Especially if you've watched like Alfred Hitchcock movies where people are constantly obsessed with trying to figure out the perfect way to murder someone and get away with it. And it's one, and it's simply as a thought experiment. Sometimes while watching these movies, I will put myself in the, the, the shoes of those murderers and think, hmm, how how would you do this? Like, what would be a way to do it and and uh, and get away with it? To be clear, I'm just going to say this for the record: I have never murdered anybody and have no intention of ever murdering anyone. Do you uh, hear that, Brandon's FBI? Patrick Willems is not a murderer. Yeah, I mean that's what that's uh, what we would want a murderer. That's what you would expect a murderer to say. <laughs> Uh, so you've really painted yourself into a corner, Willems. I mean, this is do. So, are we saying that that non-murderers say they're murderers? Then is this all uh, like a, a reverse psychology thing? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> all I'm saying is, sometimes while watching movies uh, about murders, I, I I do think about, hmm, would this work? Mm-hmm. Are there any ways I I could think of to maybe improve their plan? And I and I did. Spend a bunch of time thinking, man, this is not a traditional way of murdering someone that I've yeah. ever thought of. That said, it's an especially cruel way of of murdering someone because I yeah. feel like we've all heard that drowning is an especially unpleasant way to die. And this is like – this is not a quick death. No. Uh, but the idea of like then um, I guess the tide just like covering up the body uh, is I guess – Interesting. I mean, like honestly, I've got to say, um, I understand Leslie Nielsen's character, or Richard is his name, right? Yes, yes, yes. I understand. Uh, although, although I don't support uh, Richard's choice to um, punish uh, punish Ted Danson and then punish mm-hmm. his own wife with really cruel, slow deaths, but he really should have kept like a close eye on. Uh, on what what happened to them like he had security yeah. cameras set up and then just kind of stopped paying attention which is I, I gotta say seems like a rookie move uh like a, like a rookie <laughs> mistake to me um but the other thing i want to say is to answer your original question um mm-hmm. i also spent a bunch of time thinking like could you get out of that could uh like i know i you know i've seen movies uh, such as, you know, for instance, the classic uh, Shanghai Noon before mm-hmm. in which characters are buried in sand up to their neck. And uh, and it usually seems like it's hard to get out. And obviously wet sand, heavier than dry sand. But I really was thinking, like, as you can see, the, the tide is kind of carving out a bit more of a groove around Ted Danson's head. I was like, so is that like loosening it up a bit? Is there any way you could like maybe move your arms a little bit or like potentially kind of get a shoulder free. I don't know. I don't want to try it, but, uh, but, uh, I, 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 it really did force hearing for us to all go down to the shore and bury you up to your neck and just to see if maybe you can get out of it. Like next maybe weekend, we can make it into a, like a Fox magic special. Yeah. Everyone come on out. We'll go to Rockaway beach and we'll have a fun <laughs> experiment. Uh, but no, but this was one of those movies where, you know, you really can't help but put yourself in these characters' shoes and and think, oh, would I be able to get out of this? Is there is, is there any way to escape that? Could I do anything in that situation? I don't know. I mean, the the big lesson here is just uh, don't cuck Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, that's that's a big one. You you have to avoid that at all costs. I mean. Gina, when you're staring, like, if we're going to choose our own death venture, I, well, maybe I'll save that question for the end because, and I want you both to think about this. Are you going to take the shot or are you going, are you going to get buried up to your neck? Because those are the two choices that, that Harry is facing here. Like if he doesn't get in there and bury himself in sand, he's going to get shot. And I'm telling you, I already have a fucking answer and it's not going to surprise anybody. Um, <laughs> it should be noted that uh, Ted Danson is rocking one of the most audacious dry looks hairdo on record in the history of this podcast. And that is definitely saying something. I also noticed that Leslie Nielsen is wearing what appears to be an Atlantean tuning fork as a necklace. <laughs> I was wondering what that necklace was. 
I, I don't know. Is it like some sort of like uh, Thor's axe? I don't know what the fuck that is, but it looks very pointy and I don't want it hanging near my neck. Well, what if you need to open a thing of Harpy's Bristol Cream, though? Oh, that's very, very true. What if <laughs> what if I need to open up a can of sweet cream? Then then I would need such an instrument, I, which I guess is the only point of it. it. It certainly doesn't work if you're just using it for cocaine, which I think is the point of most necklaces on the set of Creepshow. But it should be noted here that I've only had one major experience with someone being buried in the sand. And that was in the beach, Manhattan beach here locally in California. And there was a very elderly gentleman who appeared to be uh, getting buried by what looked to be his nurse. He was rather infirmed. He was using the aid of a walker. And so he's buried literally quite up to his chest. And we all begin to notice over the course of the following hour as we're chitting and chatting that the tide is coming in. And I very loudly say, I think we got a fucking creep show situation on our hands. <laughs> this man needs to be taken up. And we go over and like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, oh yeah, I I I love being buried in the sand. And we're like, well, listen, I'm not gonna yuck your yum. All right. We look back 15 minutes later. A bucket has been placed on this man's head. What? Now all you can see is the bucket. And that's when we alerted the authorities. <laughs> that's when we had to get a lifeguard involved because we were pretty sure this guy was going to get creep showed right in front of us. Um, he was unburied by his nurse several minutes later, but I think her plot to kill him was foiled by us. And that makes me a hero. Oh my God. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> It really, the memory only reoccurred to me as I watched this, that this was an experience in my life, uh, even within the life of, I think my son was the first one to notice him. I think he was three years old. He's like, why is that man being buried? I'm like, hey, some people like it. Yeah. I'm like, well, not, they don't like it when they can't breathe because their head's covered with water. But what are you going to do? I was going to say, I really hope that it is your fate to now encounter uh, near creep show deaths. But of all the <laughs> of all the different deaths in creep show, uh-huh. that said, I don't know what they are yet because I haven't seen the rest of the movie. But uh, I, I I look forward to that for you. <laughs> it's going to be a hell of a situation when when zombies start coming up out of the ground or meteor shit starts landing on Earth. We're all pretty much fucked. That's true. I certainly, Gina, do not want to come into a situation where I see bugs burst out of a dude. No, absolutely not. No. That, that's a hard pass for me. Yeah. You you could not pay me enough to hang out incapacitated from the neck down with a live crab near my face. I don't care what what we connect that Patreon number to. That's not going to happen. That is not on the table for when we, you know, hit the century mark or whatever the fuck. But uh, we find that Richard has wheeled out a ton of AV cable. And Richard's going to keep his promise. Harry's going to find out exactly what has happened to Rebecca. He's also buried her up to her neck on the beach, just, you know, closer to the water in a second location. Um, Rebecca is played by Galen Ross of Dawn of the Dead fame. And of course, uh, she's also in Kill by Kill's most notable Lost episode when we covered Madman, the film with the most lackadaisical hot tub sex scene in cinema history, Gina. We should really redo that sometime. Should we? It is a weird fucking movie, and I'm not sure I can take that hot tub scene again. Uh, Patrick, have you seen Madman? You know, I haven't, but now I'm wondering, <laughs> should I? Oh, I'm not going to encourage you. There are plenty of fans, and Gina might be one of them. No, not really. I, 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 I do, <laughs> I, I do appreciate, as with um, my bloody Valentine, that it's a slasher movie in which a folk song over the end credits explains everything that's just happened. Uh, so that that's that's a high that's a selling point for True. it. It's got that wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald ending song that uh, that should be a rap song. If someone remakes Madman and they don't keep that song or at least update it where Drake has a verse in the chorus, like, I don't know, what are you doing? 
Um, but uh, yeah, we learn that uh, Rebecca is also slowly drowning, and and Richard says, "I kept my promise, Harry." See, there, there she is. Um, of all the scenarios in Creepshow, this is my personal hell. I'm not saying that I'd rather die in a creeping nightmare of meteor shit, but like, uh, this is this is bad. So, uh, let's get into another sort of telling segment of Creepshow. Now, Patrick, since this is the only one you've seen, this will be slightly out of the scope of what you've witnessed, but there's like a, an ongoing theme to Creepshow and you'll probably relate to it in some manner. And that is rich people fucking suck. And throughout the movie, rich people (laughs) do horrendous shit with the idea that they will get away with it. And then they learn uh, once they're uh, confronted by zombies or, uh, you know, bugs or ghosts that no, they, they cannot. And so what we first learn about Richard's pad is that it's full of surveillance and that the surveillance is a fallacy. He can't watch his way to safety. Um, this but- is actually, if, if I may jump in here. Sure. This was something that... Th- Maybe own my only real complaint with the movie, and I did I kind of touched on it earlier, but he has so much surveillance. How yeah. did he not watch the surveillance footage to see what happened to Ted Danson? To see if he uh to see like when he drowned or what happened to his body. He just happens to like go away and then check back later and is like, oh, he's not there anymore. Huh. Like a classic Bond villain. He just assumes those sharks with lasers on their heads are going to do the job. And I mean, he has a whole sequence where he watches the surveillance video live. And he, for a second, he kind of like regrets his decisions. Like you can see it on his face. Like, oh, real people are going to die here. And I am the cause of that. And Maybe I I feel guilt. Maybe I should do something. Is was this the right thing to do? Was revenge all worth it? And then Ted Danson looks straight down the fucking pipe of that camera and goes, "I'm going to get you back." And Richard just all his blood gets right back up. And he's like, "Nope, I've made the right decision." And he's like, "Fuck it, I'm going to watch this old 1940s golf comedy in my finest green velour jumpsuit." I, I mean, yeah, that checks out. That like, I mean, here, here's the thing: you say sure. you say rich people suck, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, look, the only thing that Leslie Nielsen really did wrong in this was uh, was not realize that uh, people could come back as water zombies. <laughs> and look, and if I were in his situation, I wouldn't expect water zombies either. It's not something that we're always told is going to happen if you live near the water. Like, okay, water levels are rising. Um, Metal will rust. Water zombies will come get you. But, you know, just in 1980 and 1982 alone, there were two movies about fucking water zombie ghosts coming back to kill people and nobody listened. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I, I do have to say, I know, I don't know if we're jumping too far ahead, although I think this happens like, right away uh great makeup design on on the oh, water yeah. zombies uh yes. really cool looking stuff great kind of greenish blood coming out of their heads when they get yeah. gunshot wounds it's just it, it, it's looking great it, it's th- like, this is a thing again because this is the only segment of creep show i've seen mm-hmm. i really i was fully prepared for this to just be like a you know, a base in reality kind of like morality tale kind of thing. Uh, uh, j- just about this, you know, like a depraved revenge. The, I mm-hmm. I really was not anticipating the uh, the supernatural twist at the end, and it was <laughs> delightful. It truly is. The one thing I really enjoy about the surveillance video is that it's in black and white in four by three, and it just feels Night of the Living Dead. It just has the Night of the Living Dead vibe just inject itself ever so subtly into Creepshow Land? Oh, yeah. Richard's house is very interesting. Uh, and first of this all, this is his beach house, right? 
this is a beach house, supposedly. You know, this would be a, a cabin by the beach. It would be, a, you know, an elevated shack, as it were. But it has a three-foot-tall Buddha statue. Uh, his cabinetry is built in with wood. His bed is a four-poster, but it's also two levels above the rest of his bedroom. And that four-poster, I'm pretty sure, is sturdy enough for what I assume are Richard's many sex swings. <laughs> the, the, the house is a tri-level living room. He has switches underneath the stairs. Uh, that being said, um, all this decor is not going to last because uh, once Richard sort of like decides, I'm not going to watch these people drown, <laughs> it's good enough for me, and goes off to his bedroom to, you know, get cozy, have a drink. Then when night falls, uh, the fog starts rolling in. And so he goes back out to the beach to kind of collect his equipment. And he follows the cord for the camera and he unburies it, unburies it until it comes up frayed and broken. And he's kind of like, I don't know, water can, you know, tear a cord apart. That That's certainly reasonable. Sure. Um, and he says, ah, oh, the tide must have carried him out. And then for the rest of the this segment, he's talking to himself, trying to reassure himself that what he's done is not going to come back and bite him. But as soon as night falls, we see a set of footprints in the sand. And when there was only one set, there was a zombie carrying you out of the sea to get revenge on this motherfucker. And so it doesn't take us very long for these two people to become instantly desiccated and infused with green algae. And they become the grossest sea ghosts this side of the fog, Gina. Oh, I love them. I I, I love the, the seaweed hair. I I like that it sort of looks like their <laughs> eyes have been eaten out of eaten out by fish. I just, I yes. just, I I, yeah. I, I, love it. It would make an excellent couple's costume for Halloween, except it would probably cost a fortune <laughs> to to pull together. That is an excellent point. It would make a fantastic couple's costume. I mean, um, you just walk down to the beach and you you grab some seaweed, you throw it on your face, okay, you, sure. you maybe you know submerge yourself in water for about you know a week, uh, and <laughs> and then you're good to go. I mean, I know that I raisin up pretty fast, but they really go California raisin very quickly from the word go. I mean, I guess the other question here, and it's one that both applies to this and John Carpenter's The Fog. Are these ghosts or are these zombies or are they ghost zombies? That's a very good question because the... the <sighs> The tough thing about the ghost answer is that they do get shot with bullets and they bleed. Yes. But they also get shot in the head and are not stopped like zombies tend to be, mm -hmm. which makes me I, think they could mm -hmm. be a new category of oh. uh, of undead beings. Gina, what say you? Um, I don't think that they're ghosts, mainly because they are able to to physically drag or carry or what have you, Leslie Nielsen, out to the beach. So I, I think they kind of lean more into like a ghoul or a zombie. They also are able to bamf, like they're on one side of a door and then they magically appear on the other side. So whatever they are, they're kind of in the same league as Jason Voorhees because he's both a guy who's spent a lot of time under a lake and then is able to teleport like they're the old them and Jason Voorhees are the only people who can do this so Patrick what you're saying is uh uh they are Jason's they are Jason's they're they're in the Voorhees clan if we I assume they have incredible forearm strength because they're able to lift Leslie Nielsen from his pad all the way down to the beach. So, yeah, I think they're a Voorhees. It's the only explanation. It's, it's a new category. <laughs> it is. Um, before they arrive, though, on the scene, Leslie starts looking through his built-in cabinetry, which looks fucking fantastic. Um, and he's looking through a bunch of videotapes. And there are two questions I have. One is this the first time he's done this? Because 
there's a lot of videotapes on that wall. Or is he like me in 1982? Are those all filled with days of our lives for mom and late night with David Letterman for me? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that he has killed people before, but there's certainly, mm-hmm. there's certainly probably a lot of questionable material on the, on those videotapes because he also seems like yes. the type of guy that has a camera in like every room of his house, whether that's uh, like a bathroom or like, like the changing room before you go out to his private beach. So I, I think that right. he's, he, He's got some stuff on there. He doesn't want anybody to know that he has, but I don't know if he's killed before. I I, I would agree with Gina. Yeah, I'm. He does, like the vibe I get from this guy is that I, I mean, if you're gonna commit a murder for any reason, it's probably because like your spouse has an affair. That's mm-hmm. like like I like I feel like this is the first thing that would drive the guy to murder, but. He also, yeah, it, it really seems like he's just probably hiding cameras all over the place and just loves watching people. I agree. Um, yeah, this, uh, the other thing about his bedroom is that he's got uh, the green ashtray of death. Uh, there's a green ashtray that repeats in every single segment of the uh, movie uh, in, in each and every single one. It's sitting next to uh, his bedside. And he also has a telephone with not one, not two, but ten separate lines, Gina. Is he taking calls from first-time long-timers? Why do you need so many phone lines in your little beachside cabin? I mean, he's a businessman who does business. It's true. I forgot. He's a businessman who does business. We all know this. We all love it. Um, when we start to see the, you know, the security footage as he takes a very luxurious shower. Um, this is when the the music starts to become very reminiscent of Universal Monster movies. We get a lonely violin. You got to love that. And then we begin to notice that the houseplant theme isn't just for Harry. Because inside of Richard's beachside cabin, even his bathroom is filled with houseplants. And I'll be honest with you, this is a personal preference. I don't want to see my plants see me naked. Really? <laughs> no, no. That's Listen, it's one thing that they see the sun and that they convert that sunlight into energy. But seeing my junk, that's not going to convert anything to energy for them. That's just an intrusion on my privacy. You're, you won't be naked around plants. No, 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 no. Nothing with chlorophyll. Nothing. I, they don't need to see that. That's private for me and my lady wife. Okay, uh, this is a situation where I both I want to pry into this more, but mm-hmm. I also am like, is this like like where's the okay? Is it is it is it <laughs> is it because plants are technically living? Yes. So yes. so th- th- this new puppy, I assume you don't want this puppy around if you oh, are that, that puppy's fine. That 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 puppy just you know he eats, he drinks, he pees, he poops. That's something we can all deal with. He he understands how my genitals can operate. Whereas houseplants, they're just gonna see that as a threat. I, I can't have that in my life. Patrick, this is very confusing. I I don't know what to I make know. of this situation. I'm a very confusing person. Most people don't remember that that I broadcast every single episode of this podcast naked. So it's just one of those conundrums that makes up me. And that's why I'm special. Uh, but uh, off of that, into Creepshow once again, um, we begin to hear noises outside. And uh, the front door opens via fog. And this is where we see that Richard also has a... a, a a fish tank, only his is equipped with a lionfish, which will make this, of course, a bad omen for uh, Leslie Nielsen's eventual conflict with Vincent Ludwig in The Naked Gun. <laughs> that is a Naked Gun reference. <laughs> that oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I'm hoping for one, Gene. If I get one, that's all it takes. Um, yeah, the early 80s, a time where filmmakers were convinced that fog could open doors. Um, but these now ghost zombies come in. They make themselves known. We get the third version of a zombie voice. This one's a bit more aquatic with a lot more bubbling in the throat. 
Um, but it's pretty consistent. Every time you got a weird voice in this movie, it's kind of coming from the same place. Um, but not since Orca has anyone ever attempted a scary whale sound until this segment of Creep Show. There's a literal scary whale sound when they arrive. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm. I'm just wondering. Is this the first time on a podcast anyone has uttered the words "not since Orca"? <laughs> I'm sure someone's covered Orca somewhere out there. Somehow we've done two years of Animal Attacks April, and we've not covered Orca yet. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I have, you know, Bo Derek aversion problems. But uh, that's one I just haven't revisited since I saw it on HBO in the mid-80s. Hey, I've never seen Orca. I feel like this whole episode has just been me admitting to not <laughs> having seen things. I talk about movies for a living. And yet well, you have I have to admit, Patrick, there's a lot of fucking movies out there. There's just a lot of movies. There, there, are, there are a lot of movies. And I mean, yeah. the thing is, if you, I, I, I know from experience that... If you have a movie podcast, it does mean that you watch a whole lot of one specific kind of movie and are an expert mm -hmm. in that, and then you have other blind spots. So as many people know, I have seen the entire filmography of Josh Hartnett, uh, <laughs> which means a lot of movies that a lot of people have not heard of. Uh, and yet I sure. have not seen Orca or 80% of Creepshow. Now, when you, when you went through... The Josh Hartnett sequence. That, that, I'm not sure. The official uh, title. The, the Fibonacci yeah. of uh, Josh Hartnett. Uh, did you know at the time that he cut his own hair for Halloween H2O and he did it so that he wouldn't be a leading man? Do you think he had ever looked at himself in the fucking mirror and thought, I need to ugly this up somehow. I need to cut my own hair. Uh, so I didn't know it before I saw the movie. We did our research <laughs> when we watched the movie and we did mm -hmm. learn that fact and talked about it a lot. But uh, not to go on a whole Josh Hartnett tangent because I could. I know a lot yes. about the guy. I'm very invested in his career and I'm thrilled for his uh, his comeback, which is starting to happen. Um, but uh, a thing that I learned is that he despite being an objectively extremely handsome man has always uh, seemed to run away from that, that like innate quality that he has. Uh, mm. I, I think to the detriment of his career, most of that podcast, especially after a while is just my co-host and I screaming into the microphone, Josh, just be handsome and charming in movies. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Why won't you let yourself do that? And so yeah. I think you can see the roots of, of that issue, of his refusal to be handsome, uh, it, right there in Halloween H2O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, of course, you can see everything in Halloween H2O because every light source and every set they go into is on, including her, her apartment, which is filled with light sources. We counted when we covered the movie. There's 25 light sources on in just one scene. It's like she's addicted to sconces. It's fucking insane. All right, let's get back to Creepshow because we're right near the end. We, we've pretty much run out of room here. We, we The runway is that Richard has got to get some revenge on him by these two gross ghost zombies. And so uh, to avoid that, he locks himself in the bathroom. And you're thinking, of course, we all lock ourselves in the bathroom. We've been at parties where we want to cry. But he has a special bathroom lock. It's a slide bolt lock. Psycho really affected this man. That is, who has a slide bolt lock on their bathroom door? I will say, uh, <laughs> as someone who grew up in a very old house, um, mm -hmm. I think at least one bathroom in my parents' house, I at least did back then have a slide bolt lock. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. But that said, his house looks newer than my parents' house. So I don't know what to it's tell you. It's very modern. He's got a fireplace that's not even a real fireplace. There's no flue on that thing. He has decorative logs. That's just wrong. It's a waste of space. And I don't agree yeah. with it. Um, 
But um, yeah, Harry and Rebecca can teleport. They go from one end of that bathroom door to the other. It doesn't matter how many times you shoot them. They just want to see if he can hold his breath. And so that's what they do. They magically drag him to the beach, bury him in a hole. And as we see him go full comic book page, he yells, I can hold my breath for a long, long time. Will he survive this? Um, I think the answer is no, Jaina. The answer is no. Yeah, no. But you, but you also forgot the the other iconic line in 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 this uh, in this segment is the very creepily wet voice of saying, "It's showtime." <laughs> it's showtime. That's right. I I love that. I love that so much. Might be the high. Might be the high it's point of the movie awesome. for me. I do have to point out the awesome lighting effect on that close-up of Leslie Nielsen. I believe mm-hmm. when the uh, the the Jasons uh, mm-hmm. enter enter the apartment and he sees them with this like very like comic booky uh, like colored lighting on the wall behind him. Yes, that is that is a, a through point. Whenever someone meets a, a shock point. Uh, in this, they go full EC comic, uh, and <laughs> the crazy lighting design happens behind them. It's it's beautiful. Uh, I think our favorite is in the very first segment where someone meets a zombie who has a, a decapitated head on a plate, and he says, "Oh my god!" But instead of saying it with his breath going out, he says it with the breath going in. He goes, "Oh my god." Like, you know, I can't I can't wait to uh, see more of this when I watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> Rather than me just describe it to you, Patrick, I don't know. I'm doing a great job. I mean, I, this could be like, like a, a whole new way to watch movies. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> you just described them to people and, you know, yeah. maybe it's better than the real thing. Probably not. And certainly when it comes to creep show, I'd rather people watch it. It's a hell of a fucking movie. Um, but I appreciate your confidence in my abilities. And so we have reached this, the time in our show, in which we choose our own death venture. And that's where we decide of the segments uh, or this segment of the, the movie. Uh, if you were to die that way, which one would you choose and why? Now everyone drowns slowly buried up to their neck, which is. Excuse horrific. me. We do not see Leslie Nielsen drown. But we can assume. I mean, I don't think he's wiggling now of it. Uh, I don't think he has a special vibrating power. Excuse me, he can hold his breath for a very long time. He's very confident, but he was also very confident that he could get away with murder. Hey, second time's the charm. (laughs) Well, he had two times. Uh, His wife died, and then Harry died, so, like, this would be a third time, really. True. Uh, So, I think we need to come back to the question that is at the core of, of Harry's conundrum, and that is, would you get plugged with a 38 special or would you bury yourself up to your neck? And of course, Patrick, you're our guest, so you get to go first. I would rather get shot in the head than drown buried in sand. Yes, I agree with you 100%. Gina, what say you? You know, it's tough because part of me would be like, okay, surely he's not really going to do this. And, uh, you know, I mm-hmm. maybe would consider calling his bluff and saying, okay, shoot me to see what happens. Uh, which, which in that case, you know, I, I hope it's quick. I hope he doesn't miss. I hope he doesn't do anything like hit mm-hmm. me in the shoulder. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. overall, I'd say, you know, yeah, just go ahead and shoot me. Uh, I'm right there with you. Just shoot me. It, it's over. Uh, let's so Patrick. Tell everyone where you can be found on this here internet and, and, and what you're doing and how people can ingest the the stuff that you're creating. Uh, yeah, so the main thing I do uh, is I make increasingly long and complicated video essays about movies, movies I have seen, I promise. I've, I have seen a bunch of other movies. Uh, and you can watch those videos uh, on youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Uh, I also spent the past year making a feature-length movie. Uh, it is called Night of the Coconut. Uh, it is very silly. Um, <laughs> and you can watch that on the streaming platform Nebula, which also has all of my videos, except there's no ads on there. And, um, oh, and uh, if you want to follow me on social media platforms like Twitter or Instagram. I'm on all of them at Patrick H. Willems. And that's it. 
Yeah, I, I wholly encourage everyone to do so. I think you are one of the best at what you do. Thank and you. I very much enjoy what you put out. It, it's fantastic stuff. Thanks a lot. Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? Um, I write about movies and television at thespool.net. Uh, I have recently established a newsletter on Substack. That's uh, Gina Watches Things. And then I am on Twitter under Gina Does Things. And if um, uh, it's Gina, G-E-N-A. Yes, do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can follow us on all the socials. Please rate and review us on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. Join us on Patreon where we're doing fun stuff like we're talking about Black Roses, uh, a movie that I have not seen before, but I know is a heavy metal nightmare. And how could that be bad? Uh, but don't worry, folks. The body count will continue because next week we're going to talk about A Crate Full of Joy uh, from Outpost 31. It's going to be our fourth volume of Creep Show, and we're going to have a fun guest for you there i promise uh and so for myself for gina and for patrick bye-bye everybody bye bye